so Paul is writing this letter to the Philippian church. Uh, the Philippian church was founded uh, on Paul's second missionary journey. There's a slide there, and I know, I know you can't see the little uh, city names there. I don't think that you can, uh, but I, I boxed in red Philippi, all right? Last week, the letters that we read, the seven letters that Jesus wrote to those seven churches, um, that was sometime after this, uh, around 15 to 18 years, I guess, somewhere in that time frame after uh, Paul wrote this letter the, to the church at Philippi. But I wanted to give you this reference because the, all of those churches were in Asia Minor. You see Asia Minor there on the map. And uh, Philippi is just across uh, the sea there. Philippi was the first city um, that the gospel came to in Europe. And so there's a lot of significance in what God did through the, the ministry of the gospel there in Philippi. Uh, we, we're not going to go back and look at it. If you want to go back and, and dive into it a little bit, if you go back to Acts chapter 16, you can read about Paul's call there, the, the Macedonian call, right? He, he was trying to figure out where God wanted him to go, and God closed a couple doors, and then he has this vision, this man saying, hey, come over and help us, and he believed that to be God's call, and, and so uh, uh, there quickly, uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, they, they traveled over to Philippi. Uh, the first person they met was Lydia, and uh, she was saved, and of course the jailer was saved. Remember the, the whole jailbreak thing, the earthquake and all of that, that all happened, and, and uh, people were saved, and this church was born in Philippi. And so that all happened somewhere around 50 to, to 51 AD. Paul's writing this letter about 10 years later, about 10 years after that particular visit. And at this particular time, Paul is a prisoner of Nero. But in spite of his circumstances, Paul has joy. And if you read the book of Philippians, the letter to the Philippian church, man, it is a, a one of the mega themes in this great little epistle is the, the mega theme of joy. Uh, Paul, there he is, he's enduring some hardship, and yet he says, rejoice in the Lord always, right? He talks about contentment, and he talks about just his love for the church, and, and he's encouraging them. He sees how God has used his hardships for the furtherance of the gospel, and, and so he's writing them. He's in jail being persecuted for uh, his faith and, and for the gospel, and he's writing the church to encourage them. Uh, to go on and, and uh, to continue to, to walk with Christ and to grow in Christ. And that's really at the heartbeat of what Paul's prayer is in chapter one. His heart is full of thanksgiving. His heart is full of joy as he writes this and he talks about this prayer. He shares his heart and his prayer for the church. And I, I believe that this is the heart that we ought to have for one another, for this church, and the prayer that we could have for one another at Life Path Church. Let's read it together, beginning in verse number three. Paul says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this about all of you because I have you in my heart 
And you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For Paul, excuse me, for God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and in every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And so Paul, his heart is full of joy, his heart is full of thanksgiving, he's encouraging this church, he doesn't want to see them grow stagnant and cold, he doesn't want them to grow apart, he wants them to grow and to mature and to live fruitful lives for the Lord. Isn't that what we want for Life Path Church for one another? So what does Paul talk about in this passage? I'm going to give you three thoughts here tonight. The first thing he talks about here that we see mentioned a couple times is he talks about this partnership. A partnership that Paul shared with these believers in Philippi. He praises them in verse number five for their partnership in the gospel. And then in verse number seven, calling them partners in grace. You see, Paul viewed living the Christian life and serving Christ, he viewed it all as a partnership. Remember watching Lone Ranger as a kid? How many of you remember Lone Ranger? All right, some of you. Yeah, man. Uh, that, was a, that was a thing when I was really small. Um, and we know what it, what it means to be a Lone Ranger, right? Paul was not a Lone Ranger. Paul had this partnership and a par- partnership with these believers in Philippi. What's a partnership? Well, A partnership is just simply a cooperative relationship. It's what it is, right? Common goal, uh, oftentimes there's shared responsibilities in a partnership. Some of you have been partners in in a business venture of some sort, right? You understand what a partnership is. Paul is in relationship with these believers in Philippi. Of course, he went there, he preached the gospel, people were saved, right? So he had a part in the founding of the church there, but it went beyond all of that. It went beyond just that initial time and space that they were together. This was something that that was deep in the heart of Paul. He loved these folks. He loved this church. And so here they are, they're partners. And what I just want to remind the church tonight is that we are partners in grace. We're partners. No lone rangers, we're not to be lone rangers. I'm not to be a lone ranger as a, as a pastor. None of us are to, to operate in that particular way. I hope that we would see ourselves more and more as partners together in the grace of God. And, and as you look through chapter one and into chapter two, you see this partnership. You see Paul expressing the, the areas of partnership that they shared. First of all, as partners in grace, we are saved together. He says in verse number one, he calls them all saints. He says to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. They're saints. They're saved. These all are believers. Partnership in grace begins with something. It begins with a birth. 
It begins with the new birth. It begins with a real spiritual encounter with Jesus Christ. Have you had that real spiritual encounter with Jesus? Have you been born again? Are you saved? Paul is writing to saints. Now, I know sometimes when we hear that word saints today, we think of, look, I come from New England and um, <clears throat> mostly largely Catholic and, and a lot of times it, there, you'd see on the dashboard of people driving, they would have a saint. Which saint was it? Remind me. Christopher? And the idea is that St. Christopher is going to protect you, right? Uh, right? And, and we understand that there have been some who have been elevated in certain realms by, by, by churches to be called saints. But I think what we find in Scripture is that if you're a believer, you're a saint. Now, we in our minds think of sainthood. We think of, ooh, you know, like there's like this halo around someone's head and you know, they do no wrong, and they've only done, you know, they, they've done X amount of deeds. But, but let's just boil it down what a saint is. A saint is simply someone who is born again, someone who is saved, someone who has had a real spiritual encounter with Jesus Christ. That is the basis of our partnership. The fact that we are in relationship together, the fact that because we are all children of God. And by all children of God, I mean that every one of us who have been born again, every one of us who are saved, like the Bible talks about what it means to be saved, those of us who are saved in the life path church, we are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Now, I have two brothers and two sisters. There are five of us, and, and I know what that looks like. How many of you had siblings, you know, growing up? Yeah, you still have siblings, yeah. Um, and, you know, Love having siblings. I'm looking forward to a couple of weeks. I'm going to spend a couple of days with my brothers in, in Florida. And I always look forward to that. There's something about having siblings, right? I mean, you can be gone apart from one another for a long time, and you can pick up the phone, you can get on a plane, you can get together, you pick up right where you left off. There is a bond that is lifelong. That is what we share in Christ. It's a spiritual family but it is just as real. We, it's, it's by blood. It's by the blood of Jesus. And in, in some instances, I, I think some here might say tonight, you might say, you know, I feel like my spiritual family, I'm closer to my spiritual family than I am my earthly family, my biological family. Do you feel that way sometimes? There's something to that. What is it? Well, it's Jesus. It's Jesus in us. I, I've only been you know, outside of the country just a few times. And one particular time, I went to the Dominican Republic. We were, mission, we were visiting a missionary and, uh, in Santo Domingo. And, you know, we, we met a lot of people that I couldn't even talk to. You know, I, I know absolutely no Spanish. I, you know, I, I'm ashamed to say that here as a pastor in Arizona, but, uh, you know, I, could, I learned enough just to ask people, are you coming to church tomorrow? Uh, you know, Iglesia Mañana. I, I mean, that, that was about the sum of it, and I probably butchered it. But it was really cool. And those of you who have been in, in other places, you can meet people for the first time, and you might not even speak their language. But you can go into a church, and you can meet someone, and it's almost as if there's an instant connection, Right? 
there's an instant connection. What is that? Is it just because we go to church? No. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus is the very foundation. He is the root. He is, he is the, the cause of our partnership in grace, our partnership in the gospel. And let's never forget that. It is the gospel of Jesus that unites us. We could be very different. We come from, many of us, we come from different places. You know, I was born in Michigan, grew up in Rhode Island, went to college in Tennessee, worked in Connecticut, and here I am in Arizona. You know? uh, uh, I, I didn't grow up like, like everyone in the room did, and vice versa. We, we all come from different places and, and families, and, and we have different maybe culture that we came from, different traditions, and we have different interests, right? I lo- last, last Sunday, we had the men for breakfast. That was a ball. I really enjoyed that, guys. Thanks for those of you who were able to come. But one of the things we did was we went around the circle and everybody, I had everybody introduce himself and share. You know, tell us something that you, tell us what you do and tell us something that you love to do. You know, what, what are your interests? And I, I just, as we went around the, the, the table, I think we had 12 or 13 guys there, a, a lot of different interests were represented at the table. You know what's really cool? That here we are, we come from different places, we have different interests, and, and yet, here we are sitting at a table as brothers in Christ and we love each other. We're partners in the gospel. Jesus has brought us together. We have community. Not because we come from the same place and our, our tongue was the native tongue and not because we we'd all decided we all like to bike and so we're all gonna have, we're gonna bike our church or whatever. I'm not opposed to that. Please don't, please don't misconstrue that. I'm not opposed to that. I'm just saying that I think it's wonderful that the church is diverse, and that it's Jesus who brings us together. In fact, I think a church should be as diverse as the, the community is. We should look like the community. The interests in the community, people, we ought to have those kind of interests of, of people in the church. Why? Because we just, we're, we're, not, we're not together because of our common interests other than our common interest and love for Jesus. Amen? And so, look, there's different people in the room, and, and they're some different personalities. And maybe someone in this room, maybe they rub you the wrong way because their personality is different than yours. Here's how you look at that. Jesus put us together. And he put us together just so that as partners in grace, we can enjoy one another, love one another, learn to, to exercise grace with one another. You know, This is, I believe that the church was God's plan far beyond just the mission of it, but there is something that God does in the heart and life of those who involve themselves in the church and do so exercising grace with everyone around them. Let's do that, we're partners in grace, and it's our salvation. It's Jesus that brings us together. He also says that as partners in grace, we serve together. You go down to verse number five, he uses that term partnership in the gospel. They were sharing in the ministry that Paul had to the world. As Paul was a gospel preacher, the church at Philippi was helping support that ministry. Together they were serving Jesus Christ. You see, the ministry wasn't on one guy's shoulders. They shared it together. They shared 
the load. And church, listen, this is the vision for Life Path Church. The vision for Life Path Church isn't one guy doing ministry or one or two or three guys doing ministry. The, the, the vision for Life Path Church is that we empower and equip the saints to do the work of the ministry together. You see, I, I have a spiritual gift and you have a spiritual, you have a spiritual gift, right? But I don't have all of them. Nobody in the room has all of them, right? Why did God give the church spiritual gifts? It's not for the it's not for the, the person that those gifts, that gift has been given to. Who's it for? It's for the church. You have been given spiritual gifts for the church, not for yourself. You see, what it takes for us to serve the Lord together, it takes each of us, every one of us, using our God-given gifts, our God-given calling together, serving Jesus Christ as partners in the gospel. We believe that. That is what we are working as a team to produce, to see produced in this church is the empowering and equipping of the saints of God to do the work of the ministry, to make disciples of Jesus Christ in this community. That is our calling. That is our, our vision. We serve the Lord together. And so when you walk in these doors on a Saturday night, don't try, it's hard, but try not to think I'm coming in here to listen to a message. Well, we're going to hear a message. We're, we're going to sing together because we worship Jesus. Because Ephesians tells us, you know, that we should sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, right? And, and we should do so to his praise and to his glory. In fact, it has an impact on one another when we do that. There's, there's something about that that is God-ordained, God-instituted for his church. But listen, beyond the service that happens in this room, I hope that we'll recognize that we are, ha that we are serving one another when we enter the room. Amen? How, how can you serve the brother or sister sitting next to you or right behind you? How can you? Well, as, as a pastor in this church, it's my job to help facilitate that, to help equip you and empower you to use your gifts and abilities for Jesus Christ. And so let's, let's remember that. That is our prayer. That is what we are working for. And Paul says, he looks at this church in Philippi and he says, hey, as partners in grace, we're saved together, we serve together. If you keep going through chapter one and verse number 27, he says, we stand together. He says, man, I want you as a church to be standing firm. How? In one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. And in chapter four and verse one, Paul says, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Okay? We're saved together, we serve together, and we stand together. How are we supposed to stand? Well, he says, in one spirit, in one accord, unified, walking in step, set on the same purpose, the same mission, right? We live in a world that's split and divided, and there's arguing, and there's, there's differing, there's fussing and fusing, fighting, and all of that, but in the church, as the church, we are, the, Paul's prayer is that we would walk together in one, one accord. 
He says in chapter 2 and verse 2, thinking the same way, having the same love, united on one purpose. So in one spirit, in one accord, contending together. And that word contending there, that's taken from uh, an athletic contest. And that's the picture of a team working and struggling together against strong opposition. And that's what we're to do as a church. We are to strive and to work together. We're to push and we're to, we're to struggle. That's what it means to be an athlete, right? It doesn't, well, I almost said you don't just wait this morning. Our, our Saturdays are jam-packed. Are yours? Uh, we had a track, we had a cross-country meet this morning. We had a soccer game this afternoon. Somewhere in between, we had, my wife's been sick. Pray for my wife. She's getting better. She had COVID, and, but she's, I think she's over it now, but, but it, just a long day, and you know, you wake up on a Saturday morning, and it's athletic thing after athletic thing, and you know, I love to see my kids involved in that sort of thing, that, you know, that struggle, that struggle. Church, we're, we're on the same team, we're not on different teams. We're not on opposing teams. We are on the same team. We're partners in grace. We have to see ourselves that way. Let's not see ourselves as you know, coming into a room and occupying some space and hearing something. Let's recognize that we are partners. We are on the same team, and we are to strive and to work together in a struggling kind of a way, whatever it takes, we're to cooperate together for the cause that Jesus has given us. So, we serve together. He also says here that we struggle together. He says in verses, uh, one, chapter one, verses 29 and 30, man, he uses the word, he says, you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have, right? Man, Paul was struggling. Paul endured hardship, hardship. Um, he says in chapter four and verse 14, Paul says, you did well in partnering with me in my hardship. And if you go to chapter two, he he illustrates what that looks like with Epaphroditus. Here was a guy who served in the church and he, he loved the church, he served the church and got so sick in the process that he nearly died. Look, there, there is a hardship in life. There is a struggling in life. We all know that. This isn't a newsflash. I, we all get it. Life, life is a struggle. But the, the point is that as partners in grace, we're to do the struggle together. We're to help our brothers who are struggling in life. We're to help our sisters, right? So when you hear of a brother who's struggling, what should you do? Recognize that you're a partner in the gospel, you're a partner in grace, and come alongside your brother. When you see sisters, when you see a sister, come alongside that sister. Help them in the struggle, just like this church was doing as a partner in grace with Paul. And then I think he also says here in Philippians that as partners in grace, we shine together. In chapter two, he talks about being blameless and pure, the children of God uh, who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation. He says, among whom you shine, and you there is plural. So he's talking to the church. He's saying, among whom you as the church shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of 
of life, right? There is a, a shining that we are to do together as partners in grace. Remember the, the passage in Matthew where Jesus says that, that the church is to be like a city where? Remember on a hill, on a hill. What's, what's the idea there? When you think about a city, you've, you've flown into Phoenix, right? And you fly into Phoenix at night and you see just the, the sea of lights, you know? Um, a couple of weeks ago, we went up north to do some sledding and as we're coming back, we came down New River Road. Have you taken New River Road off the 17 down to like Lake Pleasant Parkway that way? And as you're on New River Road, right, it's, it's the desert out there, but you can see this glow off in the distance, right? And the closer you get, the more you see that orangey glow, and that is, that's the glow of the lights of the city, right? Now look, is a city gonna make that kind of a glow if all it has is one or two lights? Now that, that is, that glow that you see is because there are hundreds and thousands of lights that are lighting up the sky. When Jesus talked about that city on the hill, it's, the idea is that, that it's the church. We are all shining. We're all a light. We're all reflecting his glory and his light. He's called us not to hide our light under a bushel, right, but to let it shine. And church, when, when each of us, when each of us shine for Jesus in our little world, in our little city, in our little neighborhood, Light Path Church shines brighter and brighter when each and every one of us are shining for Jesus. We shine together as partners in grace. So Paul says we're partners and we're partners. He also talks about here our progress. And I love verse six. Verse six is one of those verses that I've come back to so many different times in my life just for the confidence of being reassured that God started something and he's gonna finish it, right? Verse six, he says, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you. Well, who started the good work in you? Who's the he who there? It's Jesus, it's God, right? God was the one who started the good work, right? Paul heard the call. Paul and, and Silas and Timothy and Luke, they got on a boat, they crossed, they went over to, to Philippi, but it was God who did the work. They just preached the gospel. We can't save anybody. We can't transform anybody. That is what the gospel does. That is the power of the gospel. We just give out the message, right? That's all Paul did just preaching the word, just following the call of God. But Paul says, he says, man, I am absolutely confident that the one who started this good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's God who started the work in them. And I want to remind you tonight, it's God who started the work in you. It's God who started the work at Life Path Church. Many, many years ago, when, when God put it on our heart to come to Phoenix, it was God who did that. I was working a little, I was a pastor, I was an associate pastor, but I was working a side hustle. And um, I was working for this company that Christian-based, uh, they own, um, they're, they're some of the owners of Graco. You know, Graco, they baby equipment, you know, I'm a young dad. It fit perfectly uh, with all the kids we were having and stuff at the time, but 
But I would go around on, on Mondays and I would visit all these different stores, Ames, and I don't know what all those, this was, this is a while ago, 20 years ago or something, 20, 20 some years ago. And we, I would go around and I would set up carriages and strollers and you know, it was a good little side hustle on my day off. And I'm listening to a, a message on, on cassette. Remember what a cassette tape is? You, remember that thing? You had to put the pencil in there every so often. And, oh, I don't miss those days, do you? thought the compact disc was the best thing ever, and then they got scratched, right? And thank God for MP3s. But I was listening to a message on cassette by Chuck Swindoll. And it was a series on the Apostle Paul, believe it or not. And he, and God used the message that day. God had been working in my heart for, for over a year before that point. But that, on that day, June 9, 2003, it's like God said, Dave, I want you to go and I want you to do what I want you to do. And at the time, I didn't know what that was. Uh, I just, I began, I pulled over into this little park in Hartford. I'm gonna be in Connecticut in a couple weeks, a couple months. I wanna go back to that park. But I pulled off into this little park in, in Hartford, Connecticut, uh, and I just, okay, Lord, I don't know what you're telling me to do, but we'll do it. I don't, I don't know what that looks like. And uh, it, was, it was June 9th, and and I, I wrote my Bible that night, I, I, don't, I don't know what this is, but we'll do it, Lord, whatever you say, and not that that made any difference, but it just, it was like a, I just, I felt like God had done something, he called us to do something, and we just had to do it. And uh, uh, it took, you know, began to pray, Psalm 27, 11, teach us your way, lead us in a plain path, and even as much of a bonehead as I was at the time, as hard-headed as I was, as messed up as I was as a, as a Christian, meaning I, I, was, I, I had a lot of problems with my theology back in that day, but I can tell you this, God in his grace decided he wanted to do a work right here in Peoria, Arizona. God is the one who started this. I didn't want to start a church. I, I didn't want to start a church. I was quite happy doing what we were doing and God is the one who did this. And I, I say to you tonight, look, we're partners in something. And God started something. And the progress that he has done, the, how he's brought us to this point, where I believe he wants to take us, I believe that what God started, God is going to finish. It doesn't have to be in my lifetime or yours. Uh, I, we've seen people come and go. We've, we've had people who have helped us at different points along the way with with our, with our project, our building project and all that, and they passed on. And I can remember praying, Lord, would you help us to get this thing done before they pass on? You know, I mean, I would love for them to see this. And, and they've, they've passed on. I, don't, I might not be around when we, when we open up that building on Happy Valley Parkway. Truth is, it's God's work. It's not mine. It's God's work. And what I want to in, encourage us tonight is this, that God is doing a work. It's his work, but it is a work in progress. A work in progress. I've had kids, and, and I love my kids. And you know what, kids? I love, I love how my kids have, some of my kids have grown into adulthood now. How many of you have adult kids? This is great to me. I'm like, man, if I knew that having adult kids was going to be so great, I would just, we would have had adults. You know what I mean? Like, 
I, I loved having little kids. I loved, oh man, three, four years old. Oh man, just melt my heart, you know. And, and I have on my computer pictures scroll across. Do you guys have this? Pictures scroll across and it's pulling all these old pictures and I see my kids and they're small. I just want to reach in the sc- screen and give them a little, you know, a hug. And, but, but look, I love seeing how my kids are growing up and maturing and having conversa- mature conversations with your kids is like, wow, this is great. This is great. What am I trying to say? Kids are a work in progress. Just like we're a work in progress. I'm not the guy I was five years ago. I'm not the guy I was 10 years ago. I'm not the guy who moved here. I'm not. I, I, are you? I mean, are you the person? I, shouldn't we be able to look back in our life and say, you know what, by the, only by the grace of God, it's only by his grace, I'm not the guy I used to be. I'm not the guy that... That, that I was in my 20s. I'm not the guy that I was, some of you are still in your 20s, or I'm not the guy that I was in my 30s, right? God, he's doing a work in me. And here's the beauty of it. As I look around the room, I see God doing a work in you. I look around the room and I see your faces. And I think, man, look what God is doing. It's his work. He started it. He saved you. He brought you into the family. And now, together, what, what I encourage us to do is to, to see what Paul saw. He, he didn't look at the church for who they were in the moment. He looked knowing with that vision ahead that, man, this is, God is going to complete the work that he started. And I believe that with all my heart, that what God started at Life Path Church, he is going to complete. And that happens on an individual level. He's work, as he works in me, as he works in you and your life and and your marriage and your family, he is doing a good work. And I know sometimes it can be discouraging. I know that. I know sometimes it can be, you know, you, you, you stop and think, well, I'm not the guy I used to be. But every so often you look in the mirror and you're like, but you're still kind of a jerk sometimes. I'm talking about what I say when I look into it. You're still kind of a jerk sometimes. You, know, you still, still get a little impatient when you're out there on the road. You know? Different things like that. You can just see it like, man, thank God that he's not done with me yet because I hope there, there's something better. There's something better that he, that he wants to do in my life and, 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 and through my life, right? So I just want to encourage you, look, we get to see God's work being done. We get to see God's work being done as a church, but we get to see God's work being done in each other, in each other. I love small groups. If you're not in a small group, I want to get you in a small group. Every Christian, I think, should be in a small group. And one of, one of the groups that we have, we were together on Wednesday night, five, five guys, and just what a joy it is just to hear what God is doing in men's lives and, and how just their heartbeat for, for what they want to see God do. I, can, I see progress. I see progress. And that is all to the glory of God. What God starts, God will finish. So listen, let's not be discouraged in our spiritual progress. Don't be discouraged in it. I know we'd all like to be further along than we are now. How many of you wives would like to see your husband a little further along with the Lord than he is right now? Thank you for not putting your hands up. <laughs> My wife was here. She put her hand up.
We'd all like to be a little further along than we are. But can I encourage you, take some time just to reminisce in your mind where God has brought you from. Isn't it a beautiful thing? Isn't it? You, you see, this is who our God is. This is what God does in our lives. He's making us trophies of grace. We're just dust. We're, we're, we're nothing. We're, we're just sinners saved by the grace of God. But because of his good grace in our life, man, he is doing something good in us. So here's what I want to encourage us to do. Number one, be patient with the people around you. Be patient. Be patient with one another. When, when, when something goes awry in your relationship or someone gets a little short with, with, with one another or something, look, just be patient. Be patient, ladies, with your husband. Husbands, be patient with your, with your wife. Parents, be patient with your kids. I, I get it. I've been, I've wanted to pull my hair out at times, and by the look of it, I know I've pulled a lot of it out. But I can tell you this, there's been a lot of people who have been pulling their hair out with me, right? So let's just remember that, that, that we need to be patient with one another, and I, think, I also believe that we need to be patient with ourselves in our own spiritual progress. doesn't mean we should be lazy about it. It doesn't mean that we should be indifferent. We read last week, remember, the letter, some of those letters about losing their first love and being lukewarm, right? It doesn't mean that we put it in coast, but we should be patient with God's work in our lives. Look, we get to participate in a wonderful, wonderful progress, a process that God is doing in us. I, I like what Ruth Graham said. She said, I saw a sign on a, a strip of highway once that I would like to have copied on my gravestone. It said, end of construction, thank you for your patience. Right? One day it's going to be over. But until then, let's be patient and let's just continue to progress. Allowing God his good work in our life, cooperating with that, work, with that work in our life. And that brings me to this third thing that Paul talks about here, and that's our potential, our potential. In verses 9 through 11, right, he prays this prayer. He says, in this I... And, and I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and in every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise, to the glory and the praise of God. That's our potential right there. Our potential is to bring glory and praise to God. Church, we as a people can bring glory to almighty God, the creator of all things, the maker of all things, the Lord of all things. Our lives can bring glory to our God and praise to our God. So Paul prays this. He prays that they would continue growing in their love. And it's true, our love has room to increase Amen? Yes, it does. Our love has room to increase. Love isn't just a, a matter of emotion, as you know. In the Bible, it never focuses on good feelings. Feelings may and usually do come when we truly love 
another person, but feelings are never the focus with true love. So what's the focus of love if it's not feelings? Well, biblical love focuses on knowledge and discernment. What does that mean? Genuine love requires knowledge and discernment. First of all, knowledge, right? He says that here. You see it in the verse? <coughs> that their love would continue growing in knowledge. Well, knowledge here refers more to, than, to, than to just head knowledge. It's a deep experiential kind of knowledge that only comes through a, a close relationship, a close knowledge. It's in, an intimate kind of an acquaintance with someone. Can't really love someone you don't really know, right? Can't. To truly love someone means that you want to continue growing in knowing them. We can't keep growing in love independent <coughs> of a real knowledge of God. So how does this work? Well, God is love. As we grow in the knowledge of God, as his spirit fills us, he produces this fruit of love in us. And as we know one another and grow in knowing one another, our love for one another, our capacity as God's love fills us, our capacity to love others is increased. So growing, a growing love rooted in knowledge requires something. It requires time spent together. It requires communication. It requires transparency. That means that we have to open up with one another. That can be hard for us. <coughs> it can be hard for us to open up with one another, right? We, sometimes we're afraid. Sometimes we're afraid, you know, if I open up too much, will, will this be used against me? You know, what, where's this going to go? We don't know who we can trust. We don't know exactly what we can say, but... But as our love grows for one another, there should be more of this trust and, and more of this ability for us to be vulnerable, for us to be able to be transparent with one another. And so what it means is that we've got to let down our walls. We must let down our walls. This can be difficult in the church, especially if you have been hurt by someone, especially if you've been hurt by someone in the church where you let down your walls before and you got burned for it, right? I think, I dare say, that most of us, I look around the room, how many of us have been in church longer than five, five years? Put your hand up and just hold it up. Okay, look around the room. I think that is everyone, okay? Keep them up for a minute. How many of you have been in church longer than seven years? Keep it up. If you haven't, put it down. No hands went down. Ten years. You've been in church ten years or longer. Every hand's still up. Twelve years. Longer than twelve. If it hasn't been twelve years, put your hand down. Sandy, is your hand down or your shoulder hurting? Huh? You're down. Okay. So... I think one out of our group. How many? 15 years. Okay, Brianna put her hand down. She's only 13 years old. But she's <laughs> Good, I'm glad you can do math, right? Okay, so the, the, all the teenagers put their hand down just then, all right? Look, look around the room. We could go out 20 years, 25 years. I mean, look at us. Oh my goodness, what, 
30 years, <coughs> 40 years, spending church longer than 40 years. Some of you, I didn't, Gary, I didn't even know you were older than 40, to be honest. <laughs> Who would have knew? Not. You're not. I know you're not. Longer than 50 years. I am so glad I get to put my hand down right now because I'm going to say over 60, and I am not even near that yet. So over 60 years, okay? So, so look, right? Yeah, yeah, right? Give him a hand. Dave, 60 years? How many years, Dave? About 60. Gary, how many years? 75 years. All right, so let's just talk to Gary for a minute. Gary, you ever been hurt in church? No. That's not the answer I expected, Gary. No, we all knew what his answer was going to be, right? Look, we've all been burned. We've all been burned. And I know it's a shock, but, you know, even pastors get hurt in church, too. Are you giving me this water? Bless you. Bless you. Even a cup of cold water in his name. Amen. Thank you, Sandy. Oh, I'm going to trip and fall. Um, <clears throat> we've all been hurt in church. And the truth is, shame on us, right? I mean, we, we shouldn't just say, oh, yeah, okay, no big deal. No, it's a big deal, right? If you grew up in an abusive family, that, well, you know, pull your boots on and, you know, man up. And uh, No, man, that's a... That's a terrible thing, and there's scars that come along with that. And the truth is, there are a lot of people in this valley, in Peoria, and around here, that have scars and hurts and very deep, you know, from church, from the church world. It's not, it's not Jesus. It's us. It's us. And, and the, the truth of the matter is, I don't think there's any way to avoid it altogether, you know? On any given day, any one of us can wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Who knew, right? I mean, it happens. We wake up on the wrong side of the bed some days, and we're a little short with someone. We, we didn't look at someone the right way, and they get offended, and they think, what, is, what Pastor Dave doesn't like me now. You know, he, he didn't look. Maybe my head was in the stars. I don't know. I don't know. But, but you, you get what I'm saying? We were the problem, not Jesus. We're the problem, not the church. It's not Jesus and his body. It is the, the members of that body. And so what I would encourage us to do is to own up to it and to recognize that we need to grow in love and we need to do so with knowledge. And that means that, yeah, that means that we're gonna have to be transparent and, and let down our walls, but that's the only way it's gonna happen. But if we don't risk that, if we're not willing to love one another, what? How's anybody going to know we're his disciples? Because Jesus said, it's not by a fish on your bumper, it's not by a cross around your neck that people know that you're my disciple. It is by your, what? Your love. Your love for one another. Church, let us grow in loving one another. To do that, we have to know one another. We have to spend time together. We, we, have, to, we have to be willing to let down our walls. And, and we have to be willing to, to do what sometimes hurts. Sometimes it hurts just to zip it and not say what's coming to our mind, right? But let's be patient enough to love one another enough to recognize that, look, God's doing a good work 
Not everybody has to be where I think they ought to be spiritually. I can give the good God who saved and who brought life into the church, I can give God room to work in other people's lives. So if someone steps on your toes and offends you, can I just encourage you, just write that off as, you know what? I can forgive, I will forgive, and I will love my brother irregardless. Maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe something happened. I'll pray for them, right? Let's be that kind of a church. Growing love requires knowledge. It also requires discernment. Discernment means powers of of mental judgment. It's insight. It's perception. It's like x-ray vision. It's able to look into situations and size up people and to know what their real needs are and how to reach out and love them. So discernment gives me insight how to love the people I am called to love. Pray for that. Pray for that. And then spend enough time with the people in this room, the people in this church, that you can develop knowledge and discernment on how to love others well. Now here's the thing. There's no commandment in the Bible to be loved. It's not in the Bible. The Bible never says, and be ye loved. It doesn't say it. So if you're looking for a church where you're going to be loved, just understand you're looking for something that's not commanded. Okay? Look, it's not commanded for us to be loved. It is commanded for us to what? To love. Right? So don't, don't look for someone to love you in the church. Obey the command to love someone else. And you know what you're going to find out? All kinds of people love you. <laughs> the love is in the room. Right? But we focus on ourselves rather than focusing on what I am to be, right, ourselves in the opposite way and how I give out love, how I love one another requires knowledge and discernment. We need spiritual eyes with spiritual insight into the lives of the people around us regarding how to apply God's love with one another. He says, continue growing in love. Man, I'm going long here. I'm gonna go through these last ones quick. Continue developing in character, pure and blameless in the day of Christ. The word pure there is derived from two words, sun and to judge, and it literally means to hold up to the sunlight to inspect. And if you track it down, back in that day, of course, they used pottery, fine uh, pottery, and it was very fragile, and, and so it easily developed cracks. And sometimes what would happen was, uh, in the marketplace, these, the, the pottery would develop cracks, and they would put wax in it to, to hide the cracks, and try to sell it like that. Um, but of course, that didn't, that didn't really fix the problem. And so what, they, what people would do is when they would go buy uh, a pot, they would hold it up to the sun. They were looking for cracks. They were looking for uh, something that would say that the integrity wasn't quite there. And this is, what, this is the idea of this word pure, that our lives, people should be able to hold our lives up to the Son, that would be Jesus, right? To hold our lives up and to inspect, are there any cracks in our lives? Is, is there any cracks in our integrity? Are we saying one thing and doing something, living a different way? But if we're going to be a church that's gonna have a, what I believe to be a powerful impact, man, we have to be a church of people who are continuing to develop, where there's no cover-up in our life, where we are, it's WYSIWYG, right? It's, you, what you see is what you get. It is uh, by the standard of Jesus. He is the measurement 
of our lives. And then he also says that we continue abounding in, in fruitfulness. And I, I hate that I'm just going to kind of rush over this because this really wraps the whole thing up. But being filled with the fruit of, of righteousness, I mean, isn't this what it's all about? The fruit of the Holy Spirit being produced in our life, the, the fruit that God produces in our life. This is what, go back to John, right? And Jesus talks about the fruit and abounding much fruit and how that brings glory to God. But, but Paul longed to see this. And don't we want to be a church where there's fruitfulness in our personal lives and there's a fruitfulness that is abounding from this church? Amen? We want that. Pray for that. Pray for that in your own life. Pray for that for us as a church. So what does all this mean? I'm, I'm gonna wrap this up. So here Paul writes this letter, and I think that as we d dig into this letter, I think what we find is simply a prayer that we could pray for one another. Just like Moses' prayer in Psalm 90 as a, as a church, Based on what we saw last week from what Jesus said to the church, I mean, we're we, we have cause to examine and to recognize we might think that we're okay, but what would Jesus say if he wrote us a letter? And I think what Jesus would say and what Paul prayed for the church would be very, very similar here. That we would be a church that is filled with the fruit of, of righteousness. So what's all that mean? It means we're not here to play church. We're not here to attend a service or play church or just to go through some religious kind of ritual in motion. Church, we are, we've been saved. We are partners in the gospel. We are partners in the grace of God. And so let's stand together. Let's serve together. Let's struggle together. Let's shine together for the gospel of Jesus Christ because I believe we're better together and I believe that that is what Jesus intended for us to be as his church, to be together, bringing him glory. Amen? Could we pray for that? Would you just bow your heads right now, and would you pray for God to do this in our lives, in our church? God is doing a work. He's going to complete it. We're a work in progress. Let's thank him for that. And let's as partners in the gospel, in part, as partners in grace. Let's continue to serve him together, and struggle together and shine for him together. Growing in love, a love that's based in knowledge and discernment, living pure lives of integrity, bearing fruit of righteousness. Father, thank you Thank you, Father, for your work in us. We are encouraged to know that the work you started, you will complete. Father, I pray that you would knit us together as one body. Knit us together, Father. May your spirit draw us in close relationship with one another. May our love for one another grow. May our lives be pure and blameless, Lord. May we encourage one another to live pure and blameless lives. Father, may you produce your fruit 
in us. You're the vine. We're just branches. May your life flow through us and produce fruit that abounds, fruit that remains. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.